Good morning, guys. I think I've got a chance to say good morning to most of you. Wasn't that amazing worship? I already had such great worship this morning. And we're going to France, like you said, um, torn to leave you guys. We've not left the church yet, so it feels funny. But we're leaving it in great hands, and God's going to do amazing things while we're away with the guys who are coming in. So come and support them and support the guys up here leading worship and doing the things that they do um, and enjoy what God does over that time. And we are still here next week, so, and then gone for two. But I think Hugh kind of said my introduction already. He said we're taking a break from Colossians. We've been doing Colossians. We're taking a break. Um, Tony and Susanna, if you weren't here, they had such a good, powerful word for us. They just carried God's heart for lost people. He preached on the Samaritan woman and God's desire to um, give living water to all who are thirsty and save everyone who is looking for him. And just his heart for the lost. And that was so powerful. And it was powerful to you and I. And he left us with this challenge, this challenging question. He said at the end of his message, Jesus wants to save people. Do you? And I think that was a powerful moment, you know? I think it was like, okay, it caused us to take pause. It caused us to say, we want to pause and we want to talk about God's heart for the lost. And we want to go more in-depth on the heart of Jesus for the people who don't know him and for the prodigals, those who've strayed or wandered away from him. And so we're looking at Luke 15 to do that. And Luke 15 has three parables on the lost. It's got the lost sheep, which you shared on last Sunday a bit, about the shepherd who is watching over a sheep, and he leaves the 99 sheep to go in search of the one that gets lost. And then the second parable is a woman who had 10 valuable coins and she loses one coin in her house and she sweeps and cleans the house and diligently searches until she finds the lost coin. And then the third parable being the prodigal son. The lost son is a famous uh, parable, but it's about the son who is lost and then comes comes back to the father at the end. And so I'm sharing on the prodigal son a little bit this morning. And I'm not going to actually read the whole parable for us. I'm just going to paraphrase it um, and just kind of tell the story out of Luke 15. So if you don't know, or if you do know, the prodigal son is a story about two sons, an older son and a younger son, and they are sons of a very wealthy man. And the younger son comes to the father one day and says, I want my inheritance. And he asks for his inheritance early. We don't know why the father gives him his inheritance, but he gives it to him. And the, the son goes off to a distant country and squanders all the wealth. He spends it on women, partying, wild living. He just squandered everything that the father had worked so hard for, and he spent the entire inheritance. He got to such a low point. He ran out of money completely. He got to the lowest of lows. And in that place, he actually had to take a job feeding pigs, the story says. So he goes from being the son of this you know, wealthy father to now feeding pigs because of all of his unwise decisions with the money. So now he's feeding pigs and he's starving, so hungry that it says in the story that he's willing to eat the pig's food, but no one will give it to him. So he's starving, he's reached the lowest point, and the son finally comes to his senses. He finally comes to his senses and he says, all the things that he has back home, 
You know, he's, he has at least, if nothing else, if he went home, his father could hire him and he could work for his father, which at least then he would have food if he was treated as a hired hand at home. So he realized, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to go home. I'm going to beg my dad to take me back as just one of the hired hands because I'm not worthy to be a son. He rehearses his little speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And he realized his mistake and how he had lived so carelessly and didn't deserve to be called his father's son. So he heads home, ready to plead for mercy, hoping to be hired. And the story says from a distance, his father sees him from a distance, far off, and he runs to him. We don't know how long he's been away, but the father sees him far off and runs to him, throws his arms around him, kisses him, receives him back as his son. The, father, the son tries to give his rehearsed speech, um, but the father cuts him off. He doesn't even let him say his rehearsed speech, his apology. He forgives him without apology. He takes him back as a son, not as a servant. The father puts his robe on him. He gives him a signet ring. Thank you, Gavin. He puts a ring on his finger, the signet ring, which signifies his confidence in his son, and an honor, a mark of honor, his authority restored back in, not even restored, he just has it back. He puts shoes on his feet, showing that he is to be received as a son because only slaves and servants were barefoot. So he puts shoes on his feet, and he kills the fattened calf, showing that he's throwing this elaborate celebration that his son has come home. He's celebrating with the fattened calf that only can be reserved for these special occasions. And he, he's, he gets it out, cut, you know, kills it, they eat it for, for the celebration for his son being home, his lost son coming home. And it's such a beautiful picture of God's love for us. Such a beautiful picture of God's love for his children, his willingness to receive us back to him, regardless of the mistakes or how we mess up or we go astray, just the Father's heart for us. It's a picture of God's mercy and his tenderness towards his children. All three of these parables end in celebration over the lost being found. There's great rejoicing and celebration in all of the parables. Similar to that of the lost sheep and the lost coin, this one ends in this great celebration. All three of the parables show Jesus' heart for the lost. Those who don't know him at all, those are completely lost, and then those who maybe knew him and then maybe got hurt in the church um, or, you know, left, left their faith, grew up in a Christian home, but wandered and went their own way, want to make their own decisions, the prodigals. I was like that. I was one that was in the church and offended and wandered away from God for a long season. And so that's, this is God's heart for the lost and the prodigals. And all these parables showed that Jesus was willing to do something. He was willing to do something. The great lengths that he'll go to to save someone. It shows God's heart to reach people. Which is why this church is here. 
It's why restoration exists. It wasn't birthed of a man's dream. It's birthed of a desire to bring the love of Jesus to people, to reach more people for Jesus. It's why we do all the things that we do, all just to see people restored back to God. And these parables show that God's love is active. Don't you love that God's love is active? He's not have a passive or insecure love. His love is active. He goes and finds the lost. The shepherd didn't sit and mourn the lost sheep. He went in search of the lost sheep. The woman didn't sit and mourn her lost coin. She cleaned her house and went and diligently found it. And the father ran to his son. And Jesus didn't stay in heaven and mourn the lost. He came. He left his glory. He came down to earth. He became a man. He took on flesh, flesh with all of its weakness, all to save the lost. God's love is active. And in doing so, he opened the door of life for anyone who wants to be saved. Jesus did. That's why we worship him with all of our heart. Because that's what he did for us. That's what he did for us. And we don't want to keep it in. You know, sometimes we keep this in. But we want to let it out. We want to let it out. The love and the, just the love we have for, for Jesus because of all he's done. I find myself keeping it in sometimes. So God's love isn't passive or insecure. When we reach out to people, it's uncomfortable. Oh, sorry. It's uncomfortable. If you're like me, you worry about being rejected. You know, we have fear of man. Or you think maybe people will be suspicious of your motives, which they are probably. We have our insecurities. But Jesus was rejected. He was misunderstood. He went through all these things. He was despised. In all the things that he wanted to do, he was misunderstood. He was rejected. He was despised even with all the good that he did, the healing. So he went through all that just so some could be saved. So the second part of the parable of the prodigal son is less well-known, but it represents, unfortunately represents a lot of Christians, I think, and a lot of people in the church culture. I'm not talking about this church, just church in general. It's the, the older brother's response. How many know the older brother's response? A lot of you? Sorry, guys. The tears are making my nose. <laughs> so let me read the older brother's response from verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back, safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. The father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. The older brother is jealous. He's jealous. He's comparing He's comparing. Jealousy and comparison are not of God. And I know it's the flesh, and I know we have it. 
but it's not of God. There's so many things we can compare with others. Well, look at their marriage. If I had that spouse, I could have a better marriage. Or their financial status is better than mine. Or look at the favor they have in their work, and I work just as hard. There's a lot of things we can compare, but God wants us to bring those things into line with his kingdom and his ways and his will. And we do. It's flesh. It's flesh. The way this older son responded is a fleshly, natural kind of response. But he wasn't able to celebrate his brother coming home and coming, the loss being found. Because he felt like, well, I've done all these things to earn your love and my status as a son. And sometimes people in the church can be like that, right? We can think, well, I've served you for so long, Lord. I've been so faithful and I've done all these things and I somehow deserve more than somebody else. But it's not true. None of those things make us any more of a son. The only way we be a son is just coming to Jesus and receiving Jesus. And that's how we're a son. That's the only way. The older brother is like the Pharisees in this story. Remember the Pharisees? In the beginning of the last, um, in, in the beginning of the chapter, Hugh talked about last week how the Pharisees were the ones that came and judged Jesus for eating with sinners, right? The older brother is like the Pharisees in this picture. The Pharisees were judging Jesus for being with sinners. They would have been happier if Jesus' ministry was contained to their little group. They didn't want anyone else to have it. They felt more worthy. And again, unfortunately, sometimes we can be like that in the church. Not here, I'm talking in general, the church can, be, it can have people in it who sometimes we feel like, we've, well not feel like, but we've actually tasted the goodness of God, we've experienced his goodness and what it is to be a son, and then we want to contain it to our group. And I think that, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we can at times feel like that, or not, not knowingly feel that way. But there's those who dislike the free and full gospel to be preached. None here, because we preach it. But <laughs> there are some that don't like to have the full and free gospel preached, that everyone can be saved. And those that think they've done something to be saved, like the older son. I have been so faithful. Look at all I've done. But that's not how we be a son. We trust in Jesus. And then we're welcomed as a son and a daughter. We stand completely on the grace offered through Jesus. Completely on the grace offered through Jesus. Nothing else. I mean, we find ourselves at times, you think you can boast in the things that we do, right? But we can only boast in Jesus, all of us. Isn't that freeing? Just to know that we all stand at the same place. We all can just boast in Jesus, and that's it. Everybody who knows him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and found. So it's right they were celebrating. Someone lost and is now found. It's right for us, too. And Tony left us with an exhortation. And I'm going to leave us with two exhortations this morning. He left us with one. And the first of that was being, make room in your hearts for people. Make room in your hearts for people. 
for the lost and the sons who return home, those who are thirsty for Jesus. Just make room in our hearts for people. We can't save anyone. We can't save anyone. God is sovereign in that. But we can make space in our lives and in our hearts for people. We can't extend eternal life to someone, but we can love the people around us in a tangible way. You know, we can, for me, it can get complicated. Like, what do I need to do? But this is it. We can love the people around us in a tangible way. This is such a warm and friendly relational bunch of people. Everybody who comes into our church, everybody says, it's so warm and I feel like home and everyone's so friendly. And so we already, Hugh and I, are like, we have the most warm, welcoming, friendly group of people. We must have the best church in the whole world in that way. We seriously do think that, and even though I know we're biased, but we do think that. And everybody says it. So this is in no way like, oh, you need to be friendly. You're not friendly. Not at all. It's just, but God wants to add more. That's all it is. God wants to add more. And he's, he's encouraging us to make space in our hearts for more people. Because it's easy to get comfortable, but I felt God remind me this week, a church built on Jesus is a church that's always with the lost in mind. A church built on Jesus always wants to see expansion because God is about expanding his kingdom. And so we will have room in our hearts. When we talk about making room for more people, if you're like me, you can feel overwhelmed. I don't know, but I get overwhelmed. And one of the reasons we invited Tony and Susanna is because of the freedom they have in this. They just had such a freedom knowing we don't have to carry this heavy burden for people like I have to save the world. It's not like that. It's just, they had the freedom of that. And then we, we were like, yes, that, that resonates with us. Knowing that God is sovereign. Because we can't carry around a heavy burden that's going to crush us, right? God is sovereign. We just simply love the people around us. That's it. Be friends with people. Get to know people. Tony said, get to know people's stories. You know, just of those around us. Don't have to preach at them. <laughs> Hugh preached last week the simplicity of just sharing a meal with people and building friendship, and that's what Jesus did. He was with sinners. That's one of the things he did, one of the things, and we follow him. So I want to share about my kids because when they first start school, especially Joel, this last kindergarten, he would come home, and I'd say, who did you make friends with? I'd be like, who did you make friends with? Nobody. I'd like, okay. So we... <laughs> Like, why not? I don't know how to make friends, Mom. I don't know how. And he was, he was anxious. You know, he's like, I don't know. what I can't do it. I can't make friends. I don't know how. So I said, well, can you ask someone their name? Yeah. Okay. Well, can you remember their name? Yeah. Okay. So ask their name. Remember their name. And then can you ask them something they like to do? Yeah. And then I was like, okay. Then you can ask them if they want to play with you. Okay, okay, so he could do that. So I broke it down, and I know that's very childish, like it's very childish, but sometimes I need it broken down like that for me. It's like, oh, actually, it's just a matter of being friendly, asking someone their name, finding out what they're interested, you know, like just like very basic things. And be yourself, I told him, be yourself. You don't have to impress anyone. And that helped him. <laughs> so we just keep our hearts open to the people around us, our worlds can get small. I think people's worlds can get small, you know. You just hang out with the same, maybe family all the time, or your favorite coworkers all the time, or whatever. But we want to be a people that always has room for more people. And I think that's an exciting way to live. I think that's an awesome way to live. 
or you have friends in other countries, and you have people that you know all over, and churches you partner with all over, or you have connections and friends. And that is actually an exciting way to live. And my second exhortation is make time to be with Jesus. Make time to be with Jesus. Spend time with him. That's how we get more of his heart, is just by being with Jesus. And I know Hugh said it last week, the importance of just being with Jesus. I know this message is simple, but sometimes it just, the simple is all we need. You know, we just can complicate it. So spend time with Jesus. Not even just time in the Word. We do study the Word, right? We need to be students of the Word. But Jesus didn't say, come to the Word. He said, come to me. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Come to me, everyone who's thirsty. Come to me, that you can have life. Come to me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Such a beautiful promise. He'll never cast us out. God is faithful to save. He is faithful and he's mighty to save. He's able, he's faithful, he's mighty to save people. And that's how we get more of his heart, is to make time with be with Jesus. So as a church, let's make room for people, as we already do, but I think God's saying make room for more, and make time to be with Jesus. Be with him.